0: to my podcast Going for the Gold and Award Season Analysis. I'm your host, Olivia Barry. I am a communication and media studies student and I have been following the Academy Awards or the Oscars since I was maybe 11 years old. I am personally really interested in what goes into winning an Oscar. And so in this podcast, uh, it'll most likely be a one-off. Maybe there'll be a follow-up episode, like a recap of the Oscars, and hopefully I will continue this in the future. But for now, uh, this podcast is going to be a one-off looking at the 2022 Academy Awards and kind of uh, pitting all of the Best Picture nominees against each other, examining what goes into winning Best Picture, uh, giving a little bit of my personal opinion, And then seeing how the nominees stack up against each other and trying to predict in a March Madness style bracket what film is most likely to win Best Picture this year. So to give some overview as to what goes into actually winning an Oscar, I've pulled some sources from uh, Vox, ABC News, and actually the Jakarta Post uh, in order to kind of detail the politics of winning an Oscar. It's kind of insane how similar campaigning for an Oscar is to campaigning for political office. There is a ton of marketing and strategy in order for you to be able to win. The first thing that the Vox article details is that a lot of times voters are basically just a huge pool of people who are in the showbiz. And these Academy voters are first looking for a built-in narrative to the films that they are voting on. So they want their films to kind of match or align with what is going on in real life. Academy voters aren't just looking for a film that reflects the politics of what's currently going on, but they're looking for a movie that kind of upholds the current cultural zeitgeist of the year. So, for example, when Nomadland won an Academy Award last year in 2021, Its story about kind of crossing these borders across America and coming together with different groups of people really appealed to not just voters, but, you know, viewers of this film after the COVID-19 pandemic. Connecting with people was something that we were seeking out, and Nomadland provided that. So voters are trying to look for something that gives them comfort and kind of reflects reality in this narrative that's already pre-built into the film. Also, most, if not all, movies that are nominated for Best Picture fall under a certain archetype. The Oscars have existed for almost 100 years now, so it's pretty easy to parse out, you know, what type of movie gets nominated and what type of movie gets voted Best Picture. You have your underdog movie, a film that might have, you know, underperformed at the box office but became a little bit of a sleeper hit. Feel like this here, Coda kind of falls underneath the underdog category, but lots of people are really loving it now that it has had a wide release on Apple TV. Uh, you have the uh, kind of Hollywood jacking itself off movie, uh, a movie that's about movies like La La Land or The Artist, or any kind of movie that's you know about the power of art. And then you have your typical, you know, art house fair, something that's a little bit more elevated, something that's difficult to understand—and the Oscars don't love to vote these more art house movies best picture, but you know, they always, they always get some appreciation in the nominations. And finally, values are very important to Academy voters. This kind of goes with the uh, built-in narrative of the zeitgeist, but. Whatever progress that Hollywood is trying to make, you know, progress in quotes, neoliberal progress, but, uh, you know, progress that Hollywood sees is in vogue, uh, is what the Oscars want to at least try and represent and vote into Best Picture. Outside of the themes of these movies themselves, we get into the nitty-gritty of the advertising and the campaigning. So the producers of these films will send screeners, not just to Academy voters, but to critics and influencers so they can, you know, get the word out about the movie. Popularity is a huge thing. You want your movie to be talked about. It's kind of rare for a movie that isn't very popularly talked about to get nominated or to get voted as Best Picture. These producers will also send things to Academy voters, you know, like merch for your consideration booklets. Gift baskets, copies of screenplays, just anything to try and sway the voter into the movie's favor. Then you have your Q&A sessions, you have your luncheons, there's a pretty famous Academy Awards nominee lunch a week or two before the Academy Awards, and you also have your film festivals. So normally if a movie performs well in a film festival, Uh, Film festivals are usually held uh, a a pretty long time before the Academy Awards. Film festivals are more for securing buzz around your movie and sometimes even securing a nomination for it. And then you get into the nitty-gritty of what's what with the award shows that happen before the Oscars. You have the Golden Globes, the Annie, if you're trying for the best animated category, uh, the Producers Guild Awards, Critics' Choice Awards. There's just like a huge swath of these smaller award ceremonies that happen before the Oscars that kind of uh, sway people's opinions on who is in favor to win the bigger categories at the Oscars. Something that the Jakarta Post article that I was looking at was talking about was how much sway distribution companies actually have on what gets nominated and or voted on for the Oscars. It really helps to have notable, prestigious distributors, especially for foreign films that are up for Best Picture. So as we've seen with Parasite, Neon is becoming increasingly prestigious and popular distribution, especially for foreign films that are vying for Academy Awards. Outside of foreign films, you know, you have your Sony. Sometimes A24 movies get nominated, but it's rare. I feel like the last time that happened was Lady Bird. I don't know if I'm right on that. I might have to check that, uh, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. Um, And in the 90s, of course, the Weinstein Company had a huge monopoly on winning Academy Awards. And speaking of the Weinstein Company, uh, Harvey Weinstein was a pretty big player on kind of shaping Oscar campaigns into what they look like right now. Uh, he was really big into, you know, sending Academy voter screeners, trying to win them over with merch and such. Uh, and he also was one of the first people to start whisper campaigns for the Oscars. Whisper campaigns are essentially, like, (laughs) internet cancel culture that's dressed up for the Oscars. Uh, You will start a nasty rumor about someone in the movie, a producer of the movie, what have you. Or you will dig up and actually find the receipts of something that someone did. Uh, And it hasn't really had the biggest sway on... uh, It hasn't recently... Let me let me rephrase it. It has not recently had the biggest sway on people who are winning these awards, but whisper campaigns did work back in the 90s. I know whisper campaigns that have happened in recent times have been when Casey Affleck was up for a Manchester by the Sea and someone started a rumor about sexual assault. And in 2019, like a week before the Oscars, Someone dug up the receipts of one of the directors of Green Book saying something racist, which of course uh, was really big, seeing as Green Book is a movie about racism. They dug up these racist, Islamophobic tweets from the director, but uh, neither of these Whisper campaigns really had much sway. I think Casey Affleck still won, and Green Book still won Best Picture that year, but Whisper campaigns do have a history of swaying who gets voted and also they don't always have to be negative. Uh, One of the stories I've heard about a whisper campaign done by the Weinstein company was Harvey Weinstein started a rumor that the first 20 minutes were the only good part of the movie and then it it swayed voters in Shakespeare in Love produced by the Weinstein company won that year. Uh, Still uh, a highly contested win, but yeah. So those are most of the factors that go into winning an Academy Award. It's messy and it's complicated and it's political. So let's get into the bracket. Okay, so our first bracket of the pod is Dune versus Don't Look Up. And I am joined with my very special guest. Would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, what's up, guys? My name's Justin. Uh, I typically like action and comedy movies. Uh, I don't normally watch or follow the Oscars. Um, I'll see it like in the news, but I don't like watch them uh, when they're on. So you know, yeah.
0: No, it's good to have differing opinions. I don't know if you've heard, but the Oscars this year are all about like. Trying to get people who wouldn't normally watch the Oscars, like fans of action and comedy movies, to watch the Oscars. So, it's good to... I still have no plans to watch it. Um, (laughs) No, it's good to have your input. It's good to have your input. Okay. It is very in the spirit of the 2022 Oscars. Uh, So, we are going to start with... What goes in alphabetical order? Let's start with Don't Look Up.
1: All right. Let me tell you what I think about this movie. Do not like. No. Uh, I slept through part of it. (laughs) Full disclosure, people, I slept through part of it. Uh, But that's mainly because I was tired and not very interested in it. Uh, I think it was a big swing and a miss. Not my kind of comedy. Yeah. Uh, Yeah.
0: For sure. No, I think it is very... uh, I think that it is the type of politics that's swallowable, swallowable for Academy voters. I think it's very... I think it's a surface level commentary on climate change and it manages to be boring and a kind of dumbed down unnuanced message and I think it's I don't think it's that great guys also the editing is insane this is probably some of the worst editing I have seen since I watched Bohemian Rhapsody it is a joke that it is up for best editing
1: yeah i i just didn't like it you know <laughs> That's my... That's your professional yeah, opinion? Yeah, professional opinion That's right It's okay
0: here. to have professional opinions. Um, <laughs> as for... Those are our personal thoughts on the movie. Uh, as for the more uh, campaign-leaning side of its chances, um, it has a big name attached to it. The Academy really loves its director, Adam McKay, from Vice and The Big Short. God, the Academy Awards love Adam McKay. He's also been in the cultural conversation recently because of... Uh, Success of season three of Succession. Um, so it has a big name. It has a fuck. It has a really fucking loaded cast. What are your thoughts on the cast?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> DiCaprio, he was there.
0: The Academy loves him um, as well as Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah.
1: I feel like it was a weird role for Lawrence. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I would have chose her if I were casting.
0: But she kind of yeah. dropped off the face of the earth and this yeah, is her first she, movie back. Yeah,
1: she was like in Hunger Games and whatnot and then she like kind of disappeared. She was in X Men and you know.
0: Remember like, when she won um, the Academy Award and then what? she for Silverlining's playbook. And she fell I down think the stairs. But okay, yeah. <laughs> she fell down goofy. the stairs and she was like, Oh my god, I'm so goofy And the Academy ate that shit up. They used to love her. I don't know if they still love post comeback Jennifer Lawrence, but you know they might. They I love would Leon- also
1: Like it noted that I have not seen any of the Hunger Games movies, <laughs> though I referenced them.
0: Yeah, it's okay. We would not have known if you didn't say anything. Well, I mean, no. Anyways, um, they really like Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, they love Meryl Streep. You know, it's filled with yeah, it's fucking amazing. huge names who Jenna are. Hill. Yeah, Jonah Hill. He's isn't been doing a
1: lot of interesting projects recently. He
0: has been. He you did Mid Nineties a while back. He directed I didn't that. see that.
1: <laughs> I think the most recent Jonah Hill movie I've seen is War Dogs. That was pretty good. And that that's was probably that's an old movie. Yeah, that's probably like 2016. You
0: said the most <laughs> <laughs> recent Jonah Hill movie I've. Seen. I think that might be from 2013.
1: I'm gonna say 2016.
0: Okay, don't um, quote me on it. Though. Well, we'll look that up later. Anyways, that was a sidebar. <laughs> the Academy doesn't love. Uh, Jonah Hill is much. Justin Lee is on his phone right now. Okay. (laughs) Um
1: I wanna know if I was right. 2016, what did I say? Okay. On the record, right now. I'm wrong
0: sometimes. That's fine. All right, anyway. Anyways. (laughs) So it's full of huge names who are all like really charismatic, both well, I wouldn't necessarily say that they were charismatic on screen during Don't Look Up. Uh, they played some pretty unlikable folks, but uh, outside I don't think
1: anyone in that movie was likable. Any of the characters? No,
0: literally none of and them. And perhaps
1: that was the point, but I don't think that uh, that read well, at least in my <laughs> opinion.
0: It's full of uh, Academy darlings. Timothy Chalamet too. Timothy Chalamet.
1: I forgot he was in that one. He was. In, he was in both of these that we're talking about now.
0: Yeah. Oh my God, he was. I didn't even realize that was a similarity. Yeah. I was just pairing them because they were the two. But bi- anyways, hold on. That's a, a battle march. of
1: Chalamets. Anyway. <laughs>
0: sidebar again i apologize um but the academy really looks for actors who are charismatic on and off of screen i think there is a lot of off-screen charisma in this cast uh so i think it it has a chance i think it appeals to academy voters i think it has a fucking stacked cast but in terms of public reception, I don't think people really liked it. And in terms of its competitors.
1: Yeah, I. Th- yeah, no. Yeah,
0: That's I'm all thinking. I have to say on it. I'm thinking that it is not going to win up against our other movie in this bracket, Dune.
1: Yeah, the other Chalamet film. What were big you th- one.
0: What were your thoughts on Dune? Uh,
1: saw Dune in theaters. You know. With me. Yep, we, we saw that one together. It was uh, interesting. I had no idea what the source material was, so I was lost for most of the movie. Visually pretty good. Um, I don't have any particular thoughts on Chalamet. He's just like a pretty boy, in my opinion, but he does a good job. Um, Zendaya was in that movie, but they hyped her up, and then she was only in like the end. Yeah. Which, I understand it's like a multi-part series, but they really hyped her up for this first one, and then she was only in the end, so I kind of take issue with that. Mm -hmm. The worm was amazing. Yeah, that was like good VFX right there. Uh, who else was in that? Dave Batista was in it at one point. <laughs> I forgot right? he was in
0: that. Yeah.
1: yeah. Oscar Isaac, he did a good job, mm-hmm. though he, he, I mean, spoiler alert, I think he ah, died. Ah, da da. No spoilies. It's fine. We can we can cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is my mark as an editor right here. To let me know to cut this out later.
0: I think it would be funny if we didn't cut it out though. Anyways, yeah, Oscar Isaac, Zendaya, and Timothy Chalamet are all very chasmid, char- charismatic. Very charismatic. Momoa people. was in it. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that.
1: Aquaman himself. I he, he did a good job. He was a badass in that yeah, movie.
0: Yeah, no, I, he did surprisingly well, I felt like. But yeah. I feel like Timothy Chalamet, Oscar Isaac, and.
1: Brolin? Did you remember Brolin was in it? No, I
0: didn't remember. Thanos
1: himself? Josh Brolin
0: mm-hmm. from the
1: Goonies and whatnot.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. He was in it. Yeah. That's all I, that's all I had on that <laughs> Thank point. you for
0: that contribution. <laughs> yeah, nah. I feel like Oscar Isaac, Zendaya, and Timothy Chalamet are all very like classic, like the Academy would love them, but in terms of how they're trying to swing it with making the show more appealing to like a broader audience of viewers, I feel like... Dave Bautista and Jason Momoa being in the movie is kind of a plus for them.
1: Yeah, no, for sure, they're beloved actors nowadays. They're know.
0: beloved action actors. Yeah. yeah, for sure, they're bringing in the uh, regular audience who might not necessarily want to watch Dune.
1: <laughs> also, a lot of people find Jason Momoa Mon- 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 uh, <laughs> a lot of people find Jason Momoa very attractive. So I think that definitely adds to it. You know. For, like, people that are like, damn, that Jason Momoa. Gotta go see this movie now. You know?
0: I didn't even know Jason Momoa was in the movie until we saw the movie.
1: (laughs) I feel like there was promotional footage where he was in it. I don't know. I wasn't really following it, I just ended up going to see it.
0: Yeah. Um, I think a downside of it is that it's a it's a little bit ostracizing to people. Yeah, I feel like there's it was, a lot of
1: lore to it too. Yeah,
0: it's ostra- it was ostracizing to both of us. Neither neither of us have read it. Yeah. Um, um, it was difficult to follow for sure. It was visually beautiful, like you said. Like I thought it was gorgeous, but yeah. you know, mm, sometimes it was a bit hard to follow. Sometimes it dragged a little bit. I did take multiple bathroom breaks, which is usually. It was a long. A a signifier of a long, kind of boring movie. Mm. But, you know, I think that with its star power, and because this year they are trying to appeal to a more general audience, that Dune has a better chance than Don't Look Up. Don't Look Up is ostracizing in the sense that it ostracizes, like, a certain kind of people who would watch the movie. So I think that Dune is, well you can't really call dune apolitical it is not apolitical but in the topical sense uh it is subtly political fucking unlike don't look up the most in your face shit ever dune is way less ostracizing to a general audience because it's a huge blockbuster than don't look up
1: can wait 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 before i know that you just did like a wrap-up but i want to (laughs) circle back to the whole lore bit i will say that my roommate at the time saw the movie, and then immediately went out and got the book because he was really interested in it. So I think there's definitely an audience where their interest got piqued by the movie, but I feel like I agree that most of the population was just like, this is kind of confusing, but it looks cool.
0: No, I think that it was good and piqued my interest. If the book wasn't so fucking long, the book is gigantic. Oh yeah,
1: it's multi-part.
0: Um, If the book wasn't so long, uh, I would have already read the book. But yeah, I think that... Dune, for sure, beats Don't Look Up in this bracket. All right, so for round two of our bracket, uh, I am pitting Nightmare Alley, directed by Guillermo del Toro, against Drive My Car, which is directed by Ryosuke Hamaguchi. Uh, I fitted these two together because they're both kind of, like, epics. I think most of the movies that were nominated for Best Picture are pretty long But I think in terms of content and in length, that Nightmare Alley and Drive My Car are both pretty beefy movies. I mean, they're drastically different from one another, but I would categorize them both as these kind of epic pseudo art house films. Maybe pseudo is not the right word, but they're uh, definitely a bit artsier than the other films that they're up against. And they're both a little bit more elevated in material, I would say. Um, so Nightmare Alley, my personal thoughts on it, um, I really enjoy all of the actors in Nightmare Alley. Personally, I fucking love Tony Collette. That's my girl. I love Moody Mara. I love Kate Blanchett. Um, but, oh, I also love Willem Dafoe. Oh my God, I love Willem Dafoe. But, you know, outside of the actors who all did a fantastic job it was very well acted, sometimes length can get to me. It did drag a little bit. I wasn't the biggest fan of how slow it was, which is okay. Sometimes movies can be slow, but it, I, it's just not my thing, personally. Uh, I thought it was gorgeous looking. It was very pretty, very well shot. Um, but, you know, it's just fine, in my opinion. Uh, I don't know if the length was worth the payoff at the end, and I also think that the end was Something that you could kind of see coming from a mile away. Um, My personal opinion of Drive My Car. I loved Drive My Car. Again, it was a slower burn, but I could kind of stomach the slow burn of Drive My Car a little bit more. Just because it made sense thematically that it was a slow burn movie. You know, it's just about these interpersonal lives of a small group of people. And it takes place across a few years, so it makes sense that it's a slow burn to me. Um, I thought it was fantastically acted. I thought it was beautiful. Um, I think the idea of a multi-language play is really fascinating, and I really want to see that played out in real life. Um, But yeah, I definitely personally preferred Drive My Car over Nightmare Alley. But in terms of who the Academy will vote for, uh, this is honestly a toughie. Because Drive My Car, you know, like, Five years ago, definitely wouldn't be picked to be a best picture nomination at all, let alone win best picture. But I think that the Oscars are trying to switch things up. Um, it it is a little silly to me that there's only one foreign film nominated for best picture. It just kind of feels like it's there as a token almost. But I think that it's it's worthy enough, and I think that its fellow competitors in the best foreign movie film. I think that its competitors in the best foreign movie category are also worthy of Best Picture. I think it's a shame that they only allotted one slot to a foreign movie. That was a bit of a tangent. Um, But, you know, it's not your typical Best Picture fair in the traditional sense of the Oscars, but the Oscars are changing. They're trying to mix things up a little bit. And we are seeing changes happen in what movies are voted best picture. I think that the Academy tends to overlook actors who are in foreign films. We don't really see them do a lot of press, or at least the press that they do, American audiences don't see or don't have as much access to or just unwilling to watch, which is sad. Um, But the actors and the director, Ryosuke Hamaguchi, do not have the uh, publicity that the actors in a movie like Nightmare Alley would have. Um, but still, we have seen Ryosuke Hamaguchi do interviews, do lots of press. I think he had COVID recently, so he hasn't been able to kind of run the award circuit. But Drive My Car has won a few awards. I'm pretty sure it won an Indie Spirit Award for Best Director. Um, but in terms of its likelihood for Best Picture... I'm honestly not sure. Because of its subtlety, I don't think that Drive My Car is as likely to really hit with Academy Voters as Nightmare Alley is. Um, As for Nightmare Alley, I also think that both of these movies have a pretty low likelihood of getting nominated for Best Picture. We've seen Guillermo del Toro get his flowers when The Shape of Water was voted Best Picture. I think that was in 2018? question mark but yeah he's already gotten some love from the Academy he's a well-known and very well-loved director to the American audience to the American voters the American Academy voters Um, like I said jam-packed cast who I know that Rooney Mara uh, like notoriously really hates doing the award show circuit she does not like campaigning openly for her movies so maybe that's a minus in the charisma category uh, for Nightmare Alley's likelihood, but you know, you still have a ton of huge names involved in the movie that are willing to do promotion and that are willing to really campaign and get behind the movie. I think that Nightmare Alley's themes are a bit more accessible and a bit more understandable for, (laughs) I don't want to say a dumbed down American audience of voters, but you know, For those Academy voters who voted for the Green Books, who love, you know, Oscar-baity movies, I wouldn't say that Nightmare Alley is Oscar-bait, but its themes are accessible on the same level of an Oscar-bait movie. So I would say that it's accessible for voters. But also, um, as of late, the Academy has been opening up internationally. So I think it really is a toss-up, and I think it depends on how many international academy voters we have, uh, how many well-read academy voters there are, because Drive My Car is based off a famous short story by uh, Murakami, Um, but it really is a toss-up, quite honestly. Um, In my personal opinion, I liked Drive My Car. I preferred Drive My Car, I'm going to say that Drive My Car does ultimately have a better chance of winning Best Picture than Nightmare Alley. Okay, and we are back for our round. That is The Power of the Dog versus West Side Story. Uh, We are back with our special guest, Justin. Say hi. What's up? Would you like to give your background on these two specific movies?
1: Uh, I watched Power of the Dog. That's another one we watched together. Um, yeah. I might have gotten a phone – I definitely got a phone call in the middle of it. So there's you did. part yeah. that <laughs> I missed, unfortunately. Um, and we just didn't go back because, you know, if no. I missed stuff, it wasn't a big deal. Um, and then West Side Story, I have not seen the new version. I know it's Spielberg, so I'm sure it's pretty eye Mm-hmm. I, I, as a kid, I saw the old movie version. I'm familiar with the piece, you know, Jets, Sharks, Romeo and Juliet style, you know, in New York. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: so, yeah, we watched Power of the Dog together. Let's do Power of the Dog first. Alphabetical order again. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't think either of us felt too hot on it.
1: It was too deep. <laughs> I think that was the point. But like, there's so much nuance. Like, I would have to w- watch it again and pay attention the whole time to every little detail for me to fully get it. I think.
0: Um. Yeah, that wasn't my personal problem with it. I just thought it was fucking boring. Uh, yeah, that too. <laughs> it's just slow burns, like I said in our last segment. Slow burns are really emphatically not my thing, and that's okay but it is the Academy's thing because this is one of the frontrunners currently if you listen to the buzz for best Picture nomination um, Justin, what do you think about that?
1: Uh, not my cup of tea <laughs> Yeah we like Cumberbatch but and you know he's a good actor but I, I don't know he wasn't likable in the movie
0: No for sure, for sure not you love to hate him. I think yeah. that Benedict Cumberbatch definitely has the charisma that you need when your movie is up for Best Picture. I think
1: mean, he was nude in it, too.
0: Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. We totally saw Cumberbatch's cheeks. Yeah, yeah, I forgot.
1: And not the ones on his face.
0: <laughs> no. Well, we saw those, too, but we saw both sets of cheeks. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> I retract
1: my statement. That made no sense. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so uh, we got a bit of cheekage, but uh, besides that, with it. there I'm is like nothing too exciting going on. Yeah, uh, and Kirsten Dunst, who I really like. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, from Interview with a Vampire <laughs> and uh, Spider-Man, the Raimi versions, yeah. Yeah, and from That's The Virgin from.
0: Suicides, yeah, uh, and from Marie Antoinette.
1: She was in that? Okay.
0: Never <laughs> she seen played that Marie Antoinette. <laughs> oh, okay.
1: Title character.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I think that she's also very charismatic in the public eye. She has a baby that doesn't have anything to do with it, but she she was
1: wait in the real life of the film? in real life. Okay. <laughs> I was gonna say her son is not a child in that film.
0: No, yeah, Cody Smith McPhee, who played the kid, he is he was a frontrunner for a uh, for best supporting actor. Yeah. I can't remember. I'm pretty sure someone might have overtaken him recently in that uh, category. I, I have no clue. But I can't remember off the top of my head who the favor tipped mm. to. Benedict Cumberbatch was also a front runner for Best Actor, but... Um, He's got range. He does have major range. He's
1: got range, man. He's got
0: range. Uh, yeah, he, he can play an animated villain in Penguins of Madagascar. You know, he can do anything.
1: Yeah, Sherlock.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Back He's on topic. He also in Doctor Who. No, he's not in Doctor Who.
1: He wasn't. No, no, oh, he's just in Sherlock.
0: Yeah, I don't made follow. by the same people. I don't
1: follow the BBC, so I don't know.
0: <laughs> Back to what we were talking about. Um, yeah, he was the front runner for Best Actor for a little bit, and then uh, the Will Smith apocalypse happened, and I'm pretty sure that Will Smith basically has it locked and fucking loaded for Best Actor, um, which is fine, you know, that's deserved. I feel like, but. Yeah, the cast has a lot of charisma. Jesse Plemons rounding out the ensemble cast, uh, he played the father,
1: oh or like oh the stepfather, oh yeah, yeah. I guess. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, but in a couple his brother, brother. Yep, 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 which
0: yep, makes yep. no sense because they don't look anything alike.
1: So, I
0: mean, yeah. <laughs> but I would say that the cast is very charismatic. Uh, I think that it is a story that is easy enough for the Academy voters to kind of grapple with, even though you might not enjoy it the first time around, You know, it does have some deeper themes and some symbolism. The ending
1: confused me. I had to, like, Google what exactly (laughs) happened at the end. Uh, But that also may have been the phone call's fault.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: Yeah. Hold on. Lost in the sauce a little bit.
0: Yeah, I got lost in the sauce. I did not. I wouldn't say that I got lost in the sauce.
1: Well, you didn't take, like, a 20-minute phone call in the middle of the film. That is true.
0: But as for uh, its chances, I would say currently it's a front-runner. It's really loved by a lot of people. A lot of people watched it, uh, a lot of non-academy voters and a lot of academy – well, I'm, I'm hoping that most ac- – of that all academy voters saw the movies that they're voting on. But yeah, because it was distributed on Netflix, um, it had a ton of people watch it, and it's favored by the public, and I think it's favored by academy voters. So I think its chances are pretty good, even though we weren't personally into it.
1: Yeah. I thought that Benedict Cumberbatch as a cowboy was going to be a lot more interesting than it was.
0: Yeah. No, me too. I thought I wasn't expecting the movie to be interesting, just basing it off of the trailer, but. uh, I was
1: expecting a more fun, energetic Western.
0: Yeah. I wish in my heart of hearts that it was more fun, but I wasn't expecting it to be more fun. Yeah and West Side Story. Um, I really, really, really personally enjoyed this 2021 version of West Side Story. I thought it was beautiful. I thought that Rachel Zegler, who played Maria, was fantastic. Um, Not to brag, but I have been following her since before she got cast in West Side Story, back when she was just like a little musical theater geek posting on Twitter, which I think is really amazing. Ariana DeBose uh, was incredible. Um, yeah, it had a ton of Broadway people in it, like a ton of Broadway actors, which makes sense. I love that we are casting Broadway people in movie musicals. I think that it's well-deserved, and I think it's something that we need. Like, we need people who can actually sing, guys. I think it's refreshing that people who can actually sing were cast in West Side Story. Yeah, Do you so have
1: So how is the music? As someone who hasn't seen it, Seen the old version, like you know, like the story, like wh- what was your impression of like the music and the you know the story? I don't know if you are you familiar with the story. Yeah. probably before. Yes, I was. I've seen it. the first one. But as well. um, what did you think in comparison?
0: I thought the music was beautiful. I thought it was uh, it was very close to the original. I think that they kept all of Sondheim's orchestration in it. Um, I also think. It might get a little bit more love from the Academy after Stephen Sondheim's death. I don't know if you're familiar I'm not. With who Sondheim is. He's a very prolific Broadway composer who just passed away. Uh, he was also a part, a big part of Tick, Tick, Boom, and a big part of West Side Story, which wow. is interesting. I think there are going to be a lot of tributes during the Oscars this year to Sondheim. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that the music was very accurate to the original. Uh, I think that the singing was great. Uh, I think that the acting was fantastic fantastic um maybe though, like yeah good job yes yeah, so i think that I mean, spielberg did an like excellent like, job doing
1: a lot lately from my no
0: he kind of fell off this is his big yeah, comeback he did a uh,
1: ready player one that's the last spielberg film i watched
0: yeah but i've heard that ready player one was bad the book was terrible i
1: don't know i found it interesting
0: yeah i've heard that it was just kind of nostalgia bait but he kind of fell off like steven spielberg had a very dry period like, in the last 10 years, yeah. he hasn't made he anything. He's been yeah. in a slump. Yeah, he hasn't made anything that people have now really liked until you know? this movie. Um, but I think that Steven Spielberg did an excellent job as a director. The only part that I didn't personally like was Ansel Elgort. And this is where we get into the hairiness of West Side Story as a nominee. Because uh, a couple years ago, I think it might have been in 2020, uh, it came out that Ansel Elgort has sexual assault allegations against him which is a huge knock against the movie, especially in post-Me Too times in Hollywood. Uh, I don't know if it'll be in the ceremony. Another knock against it was that the lead actress who played Maria, Rachel Zegler, was not invited to the Oscars ceremony, which is insane. Um, I think it's just because of capacity issues, because of COVID, but it's wild that no one like took her as a plus one or that Steven Spielberg can pull some strings. But there's been a lot of outrage recently about Rachel Zegler being kind of shunned. Yeah, I guess the best ex-communicated? word is shunned. She's not excommunicated, but uh, her lack of invitation has caused a lot of buzz. Uh, we'll see if Ansel Elgort is there. I think if Ansel Elgort is there and Rachel Zegler isn't there, it'll be a little bit fucked. Yeah,
1: but I mean, should he be excommunicated? Then?
0: Yes, I think Ansel Elgort needs to be blacklisted. I think that this movie getting a nomination is uh, a step away from him getting excommunicated, which is unfortunate. Which is unfortunate because I don't want to see him in anything. He he was just fine in in this movie. He was you know whatever. He wasn't terrible, but he wasn't great either. Um, I don't want to see him in anything else, quite frankly. But I think because this movie has so much claim that we might see him in other things, which is sad. Um, but yeah, that's definitely, those are two kind of whisper campaign-esque things that are happening around this movie that kind of, uh, I will give you a turn to speak in I, a I second. Still, I just
1: want to make sure you don't wrap up. Before.
0: I won't wrap up. Yeah. I think that those are two things that are tripping up the, I think that those are two things that are tripping up West Side Stories chances of winning Best Picture.
1: Fight scenes, how were they?
0: Yeah, they were fantastic. They were really good. They were choreographed super well, like both fight choreography and dancing choreography. Yeah. It's it it's like was g- dance fighting, you know? Yeah, it was gorgeous. Um, Mike Faced, who <laughs> got his fame through Dear Evan Hansen, played... Oh. oh, I can't remember what his character's name is. You know, Tony's Tony's right-hand man.
1: I don't remember anyone's name. It's been a while since I've watched this.
0: Yeah, he played the gang leader. He was really good. Mike for Faced the, was good. For the Jets. Yeah, of the Jets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, lots of uh, newsies uh, from... <laughs> from the Broadway musical Newsies were in the cast of West Side Story. I say a lot. There are two. It was just Mike Feist and then someone else whose name I can't remember, but they were both uh, pretty big in musical theater circles when I was in high school. Uh, Yeah, so as much as I personally loved West Side Story, I think that its chances next to Power of the Dog are kind of quashed. What are your thoughts?
1: Uh, I don't know. I, I think having not seen West Side Story... And based on my thoughts on Power of the Dog, I think that West Side Story should take it. But uh, I don't know. I'm not in the Academy. Um, they don't consult with me at all. So <laughs> who's to say? The
0: Academy. Call Justin up. Yeah, I hit think me up. Look, yeah. I got
1: some hot takes <laughs> on stuff, all right? I'll give you takes on movies I haven't even seen yet, <laughs> okay? You give me a summary, I'll tell you what I think.
0: All right. Hit me up. So... With that noted, we will be moving on to our next category, which is Licorice Pizza versus Belfast. All right, so we are back with our bracket, which is Licorice Pizza versus Belfast. Um, personally, I was not the biggest fan of either of these movies. Uh, let's start with Belfast, my personal opinion on it. It was cute. Like, it was sweet, but, you know... It was definitely missing something. It felt very personal to its director, which is Kenneth Branagh. Uh, It's based on his childhood, but it felt like there was really no one there to provide any objectivity and to be like, hey, uh, let's round this story out a little bit more. Uh, It is definitely just his kind of pet project, which I think has a time and place, but It's weird because it's a pet project that's very, very, very personal to him, but it's also Oscar bait at the same time. Like, he is trying to appeal to Academy voters while at the same time just trying to appeal to himself. There's this line that he's walking, and uh, he's not walking it very well, in my personal opinion. Uh, I, I enjoyed it, but it just wasn't my favorite. It reminded me a lot of other period pieces, like 20th century period pieces that take place in the UK, like Sing Street. um, What's the other movie? Like Sing Street and Pride, which have both come out in recent years. But uh, (laughs) I don't know. I don't think that those movies are, you know, I think those movies are comforting, but I don't think that they have a place in your typical Academy Award fair. As for licorice pizza, I disliked licorice pizza a whole lot more than I disliked Belfast. As I'm sure most people listening to this podcast have seen on social media or heard by word of mouth, there has been a whole lot of controversy surrounding licorice pizza. Uh, It portrays a pretty large age gap between the two romantic leads. Um... And it raises the question of whether or not representation equals endorsement. And I don't think that Licorice Pizza really handles that question with the nuance that that question needs. Uh, also, it has uh, some pretty racist scenes that I won't get into. There are multiple scenes that are played as jokes, it's not played as a condemnation of racism uh, of a man doing an offensive racist accent. So, you know. Controversy aside, it has no plot, it has no theme besides, like, I don't know, puppy love. Uh, the main character was one of the least likable main characters in any movie that I've ever seen, and somehow every single man that she comes into contact with falls in love with her, including the gay men. It's kind of insane how unlikable she is and how much everyone in this universe seems to like her. Um, but yeah. Uh, Licorice pizza was a pretty big no from me. Belfast was just meh. As for their chances, I think that licorice pizza is honestly maybe at the bottom, very, very bottom of the bracket of likelihood for winning Best Picture. Uh, I think it's obscure. I think it alienates a lot of voters, especially maybe younger Academy voters, because it's a period piece that takes place in the 70s and it kind of illuminates this, you know, 70s childhood that I'm sure many Academy voters had, but, you know, the younger generation of Academy voters that the Academy is bringing in uh, probably can't relate to it. I know I couldn't relate to it. It just seemed like a romanticization of a shitty time period in American history. Um, Whereas Belfast is also probably more alienating than licorice pizza is given its specific time and place which is the 1960s in Ireland Um, but I think that Belfast has a more general story of puppy love and feeling out of place and I think that it's a story that a lot of academy voters if they have not lived it can empathize with uh, especially in light of the Ukraine situation with being displaced that's not to say that displacement is exclusively happening in Ukraine right now, but, you know, academy voters will be academy voters within their own worldview, so I'm thinking that even though there are refugee crises in many non-Western countries, that people's thoughts are really going to be with Ukraine, and I think that Belfast brings up a lot of tropical themes that are happening with Ukraine and displacement, but... Even if Belfast brings up those themes, I don't think that it's as strong as its competitors. In this bracket specifically, I do think that it beats out Licorice Pizza, but I'm not sure how much Belfast can size up to its competitors. Licorice Pizza is directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, who is a very famous Hollywood director. Uh, I think that the Academy favors PTA, but... I'm not sure if he's charismatic enough or if either of the leads, Alana Haim, who is from the band Haim, or if, uh, oh, I can't remember the lead boy's name, but he's Philip Seymour Hoffman's son. It's not, it's definitely not Dustin Hoffman. I can't remember what his name is, Um, but Philip Seymour Hoffman's son are not really doing that much promotion for the movie. They aren't doing very heavy campaigning. It doesn't seem like PTA is doing a lot of heavy campaigning. I haven't really seen any four-year consideration ads for Licorice Pizza. Uh, I'm thinking that it, it's definitely one of the lower competitors. I just think that PTA is not really there for campaigning that hard for it. Um, Belfast, however... I have seen so many for-your-consideration signs and advertisements everywhere. Um, I think that Kenneth Branagh is campaigning pretty hard. Um, I think that the actor who plays the grandfather, who is up for Best Supporting Actor, isn't necessarily campaigning, but I think that he's really talking to the press, and he's very charismatic. He's a very well-known actor, uh, very prolific and, you know, they have Dame Judy Dench on their side for campaigning. She's an Oscars beast. Everyone loves her. So I think that in this case, Belfast's chances for winning Best Picture are a lot higher than Licorice Pizza's. Both of these movies are at their core about family and about love. And In both of these movies, the cities that they are respectively set in are characters themselves, which is why I paired these together as a knockout. But I really think that Belfast is going to take it. All right. And our very last bracket, well, our very last initial bracket, we are going to pit these movies against each other in further detail a little bit later. But as for my, you know... Cards on the table, personal thoughts. This is our last bracket, and it is Coda versus King Richard. To be completely transparent with you guys, I have not seen King Richard yet. It was on HBO Max until like the end of November, maybe early December, and then it has not been available anywhere to stream, and it hasn't been available in theaters, so I just haven't been able to see it. I think it comes out on March 24th. And I am recording this, unfortunately, on March 23rd. So I will be watching it before the Oscars on Sunday. But I just haven't gotten the chance to see it yet. So I can't give my personal opinion. But uh, I think that King Richard, from what I've heard, is a little bit Oscar-ready. But I think that its cast is really, really going for the gold here. I think that they have Will Smith and Anjou Ellis's Charisma on their side. Uh, as well as the two actresses who play Venus and Serena. I can't remember their names off the top of my head, but all four of the core family from King Richard are very charismatic. I think that they're heavily in the Academy's favor, um, especially Will Smith, because Will Smith is Will Smith. But I don't really know anything about the story, unfortunately. King Richard faced a little bit of controversy recently, not because of anything that anyone in the cast or the crew did, but because of Jane Campion, the director of Power of the Dog, speech at the Director's Guild Awards. She put down Venus and Serena Williams themselves, saying that they never had to face what she had to face being in a category against men, which uh, obviously is a very tone-deaf thing to say, considering that Venus and Serena Williams have had to face Uh, comparisons to their male competitors and racist comparisons uh, regarding their looks. Basically, the entirety of their careers, they've had their femininity questioned, they've had their athleticism questioned. It was a very tone-deaf comment from the director of Power of the Dog. uh, And I don't know if that would sway the Power of the Dog out of the Academy's favor, but I think that the backlash that it caused has swung King Richard into the Academy's favor a little bit more as a best picture win. Um, That's all I know about King Richard. Uh, I will have more thoughts once I have watched it. It just hasn't been available to me yet, unfortunately. Uh, I have watched Coda. I watched Coda with our special guest, Justin, uh, who is not here right now. But Coda is also in favor to win Best Picture. I would say it's pretty close to the top of the bracket, uh, especially after it won a few days ago at the Producers Guild Awards. There's a lot of overlap between Academy voters and voters at the Producers Guild Awards, and CODA won Best Picture. I don't know if the category is called Best Picture, but it won the biggest award at, at the Producers Guild Awards the other night. Uh, as for my personal opinion on Coda, I honestly was not the biggest fan of it. I thought it was very cute. It was enjoyable. It was entertaining. But it felt a lot like the cheesiness of a Netflix original movie. Like it, There was very little tonal balance between the high school parts and the parts with the main character's family. I thought that the parts with the main character's family were excellent and beautiful and I thought that they were so well acted but then the parts at high school were just like the best word that I can use to describe it is honestly cringeworthy like it felt very high school drama to me and not in the good well-produced way just in the cheesy way um but it was fun and enjoyable I think that it has better chances at winning Best Picture than King Richard considering its Producers Guild win recently. All right so now that we are done with the initial brackets uh, we are pitting all of the movies that we've already talked about against each other. Our first pairing in the secondary rounds is Dune versus The Power of the Dog. Guys the Power of the Dog has it in the bag. It's been in the favor of Academy voters and of audiences for a very long time. The Oscars are looking for not your typical Oscar fair this year. Uh, I think that Dune was also alienating as a blockbuster. It was a little bit too much of an elevated blockbuster. I still think that The Power of the Dog has it in the bag against Dune. Our next secondary bracket is Drive My Car versus Belfast. Um, I'll be honest guys this is a toughie um, because both of them are in my opinion or in my view uh, pretty low in the bracket but I would say that Belfast definitely has ground over drive my car because Kenneth Branagh is a very famous director he's very well known in the academy Uh, he's been around for a very long time versus Ryusuke Hamaguchi Uh, He's a very well-liked guy, and he's done a lot of movies before, but never anything that has really crossed overseas. He hasn't made anything that's been very famous. Uh, Unfortunately, we do not have an even 3 and 3 to pit against each other, so Coda is just automatically moving to the next round. So our final round, which I am going to do all three against each other, is The Power of the Dog, versus Belfast, versus Coda. Now, I would say in a ranked list, it would be Belfast, Coda, The Power of the Dog. Um, I think that The Power of the Dog and Coda are going to have a very big power struggle for winning Best Picture, Um, especially considering the fact that Coda was a really big underdog until recently when it won with the Producers Guild Awards. The Power of the Dog was previously in favor, but I think that a lot of voters are swaying more towards the side of CODA. Um, it also won, CODA also won at the SAG Awards, and if CODA did not win Best Picture, it would be the first time that a movie won at the SAG Awards and at the Producers Guild Awards, but did not win Best Picture since Little Miss Sunshine. Uh, that's just a random fun fact that I read earlier today. Um, so I would say Little Miss Sunshine was a very long time ago. That was that movie was released in 2006. Uh, and since then, things have won SAG, Producers Guild, and Best Picture, all three in a row since then. So I would say that CODA's likelihood is pretty high. Maybe I'll switch two and one around. Maybe I'll say that CODA tentatively, will win Best Picture, uh, but it will be a power struggle with the power of the dog. I would say that maybe the power of the dog and Coda are interchangeable. Belfast, I'm so sorry. You are definitely falling to the bottom of the three. Uh, I just think that Belfast has been looked down upon by a few too many critics in order for it to win Best Picture. But I would say that... The Power of the Dog and Coda are interchangeable in terms of who is going to win Best Picture, but I am going to insert a little bit of personal opinion here and say for the sake of this podcast and for the bracket that Coda is going to win Best Picture. That is my prediction. I preferred Coda personally, even though I thought it was cringeworthy at times. Uh, I still think that In my personal opinion, it was a story that I enjoyed more. It was a more accessible story, and I think that we really need to bring disabled voices to the Academy Award. We need to uplift disabled voices in the media, and I think that this would be a great opportunity to do so. So those are my final thoughts. I think that CODA will win Best Picture. That is my prediction. I think that Power of the Dog is a close second, and if Power of the Dog wins over Coda, it would not surprise me, but yeah, those are my final thoughts. All right, we have come to the end of Going for the Gold, an award season analysis. Hopefully my prediction for Best Picture is correct. I don't know, the Oscars love to disappoint, the Oscars love to surprise, so we will see how things shake out. Uh, This specific format of me using the March Madness bracket is going to be a one-off, but I do think that I'm going to be posting an Oscars recap next week under the Going for the Gold title, and yeah, that's it. Thank Thank you to you guys for listening, it's been a long one, and thank you to our wonderful technical director Justin for joining us and giving some of his commentary. And thank you to him for editing this because I fuck up a lot. So thank you guys so much. I hope you enjoyed going for the gold. Bye.